Hey everyone, please listen to this important message that Henry has to share. Hello, my mama says bad words. So please make sure to wear your earmuffs for this week's episode. Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. We are in a series called Your Story, where our guests will be sharing the story of healing their relationship with their body. Each person's story is unique to them, and we are humbled by their vulnerability and willingness to join us in this space. As a result, we will not be editing out as many numbers, specific behaviors, or details as we normally would. If anyone's story has details that trigger you due to your healing journey, please press pause and take care of yourself. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode. This week we are excited to be shifting our story narratives from parents to a daughter. Tershawn Phillips is going to join us to share how her body image was challenged at the pivotal tween years and the protective measures that her parents took to help her maintain her confidence. We know parents can't solve or control everything as much as we wish we could, But we love the perspective of what we can try our best to accomplish in the home environment to raise confident kids inside and out. Yeah, we have quoted the book, The Confidence Code by Caddy Kay and Claire Shipman in the past. And heads up, there's actually one for kids as well now called The Confidence Code for Girls. But the reason we quote it so much is because of what we discussed in today's interview. It really ties back to the concepts that the book covers. The bottom line statistic in this book is that between the ages of 8 to 13, girls' confidence drops 30%. As a therapist, I see this happen so much earlier with girls traditionally than with boys because the focus on their appearance and their worth in society based on their appearance becomes such a dominant cultural narrative at a young age. The book covers some key ways to help keep girls' confidence high during those pivotal years, And those are by getting them out of their comfort zone, helping them keep a list of their risks, knowing their role models struggle too, and knowing they're not alone. This really allows girls to continue to evolve and connect and build confidence. Tershawn's story has an interesting piece about how moving from a city to a suburban area impacted her. And since we have had listeners from over 18 different countries... We are curious for you all to hear this episode and offer your thoughts on our social media pages about how, where you live, and the subcultures that come along with where you live, have a unique influence and contribute to a lived experience that may have been different if you have been raised somewhere else. 
As parents, it would be crucial to attempt to do our best to have our children exposed to various places and people to build kindness and awareness of diverse body sizes and shapes, races and ethnicities, religions and cultures. We are excited to hear Tashawn chat today about her story, how her parents were a support to her, and give some great insight to us listeners who are parents about how we can keep our kids focused on what really matters. A main theme in most of the stories this season has been what happens when that confidence does go sideways and that disordered eating does develop. This is a fun episode because it's really actually about how that confidence was protected and what protective measures allowed that relationship with food and body image to remain more protected. So we really hope that you all enjoy this angle. Let's get to know Tershawn before we get started. Tershawn Ashley is the host of the Right Mistake podcast, where she discusses turning accidental decisions into life-changing moments with her guests. The platform highlights different entrepreneurs, millennials, and people of color stories, along with their stumbles and mistakes that unintentionally became their triumphs. Her inspiration for creating this podcast began when she realized her th- major moments professionally and personally were all the catalysts from major setbacks. Embracing and celebrating our letdowns are a part of life, and society should have a new outlook on the term mistake for future generations. I love that. Let's hear what she has to say today. Well, welcome. Uh, We are going to kick off this interview by putting you on the spot. (laughs) Can you please tell us a fun fact about yourself? Ooh, a fun fact. Okay, (laughs) let me think something that's like fun, exciting. Hmm. Okay, I'm actually going to go. This one isn't as exciting, but it's interesting. Okay. okay. All right. And so my last name is Phillips. Uh-huh. And that's obviously like from my dad, clearly, but it's not supposed to be Phillips. And so a family history story is that we actually, my, his grandmother, so my great grandmother actually kept her her maiden name and gave that to all of the kids, even though she was married to my great grandfather. But at the time in New York, there it actually correlates to like all of this racial unrest. My um, great grandfather was Puerto Rican and it was kind of a bit tougher too. His last name was Rivera. It was a bit more difficult to get jobs and just different things that kind of stuck out a bit more than Phillips. And so she had all her nine kids take that last name Hence, that's the name that my dad got, and that's the name that myself and my siblings have. Whoa. So, yes. so I should have been Tershawn Rivera. Mm-hmm. I I'm love Tershawn that. Okay. Yay. Interesting, Yay. like changing, that is changing history's like next steps and legacy. That's really interesting. Yeah, of yes. course. It's so, I think about how it would have been different for me to like be in classrooms with that, just like where my, where I would have stood in the yearbook, just like different things, and just even how a person would have then assumed like my history. Hispanic background that like because I don't like they didn't continue on to learn Spanish or anything like that like the last person to speak it was my well my my grandpa didn't but some of the siblings did and actually my great uncle he went back and actually changed his last name back to Rivera and they, the whole family wanted everyone to change it and at this point like my dad was in high school they're like no we're not changing birth certificates oh my gosh <laughs> 
absolutely not. Like we just will know what it is and can always pass that history down to our, our children and things. So. Amazing. I love that. <laughs> that like flows us into this episode so beautifully because we are changing legacies here. Yes. I love it. I love it. So excited. <laughs> Damn, that's a good fun fact. Yay. Yes. Okay. I didn't know if it was going to no. save you guys. I'm like, let's, let's no. not be a boring one. <laughs> no. No. Awesome. So what was it like growing up in your body or how has your body story been impacted due to your race or culture or upbringing? Absolutely. So I would truly say that my upbringing impacted just in terms of how I accept my body, how I kind of impacted into my culture. So just to give some background, I was, I grew up in New York City, I was born in Brooklyn, and I lived there until after 9-11. So until really, I hit puberty around 12 or 13. And we moved to the South, we moved to Jacksonville, Florida. And now if anyone has been to both places, they know they're extremely different. And so being <laughs> black and just like growing up having this bit of, I feel like I had a woman's body by the time I was 11 or 12. I always had, you know, like a bigger booty and always had the curves and things. And that was really, folks were open to that in New York just because it's a diverse place. I had all different kinds of just people around me in terms of schooling and just in different activities I was involved in. So I saw all different kinds of cultures up there and not to say that that wasn't the case when we moved but it wasn't to that it wasn't to that same extent I'll just be honest I probably was in terms of I was one of like maybe 10 black girls in my middle school when I moved and so it really was just like okay well, and then also just coming down here, I have like this full-fledged body and now I'm doing activities like dance and, you know, just different sports and things. And everyone hasn't really developed to the point that I had developed or there was like a few of us, but just not that many. So now I'm a bit uncomfortable just when you think about like the sports bras you have to put on and the different things. I just don't feel as, as, as free as I did when I did live up in New York. So that was a complete just kind of culture shock and complete switch. And I always like to say sometimes that I wish, I sometimes wish I grew up not necessarily during the social media era, but a few years later, just because then you had like the Kardashians coming in this whole wave of like, ooh, round is the new thing where you see like all these implants and things being just um, encouraged and everyone wanting like, bigger hips or bigger lips and just these different like features that naturally came to me, but I wasn't able to somewhat embrace at that time because I wasn't surrounded by a lot of folks that then looked like me. And it, I look back and I'm like, wow, I, I, w I really wish at the time I loved myself a little bit more. I completely love myself now and love how I look and all of that. But truly, I think that you are such a reflection of your environment. And by the time I got to high school, I really was able to embrace myself. And then I started, I was just a bit more freer. So I was involved in more activities. And that kind of transitioned me into different spaces where I was able to connect with folks at other high schools and other other just surroundings where I didn't feel so isolated and didn't feel like my body just was so different from others around me. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good perspective where it's like, so often, Rachel and I are focusing on the negatives of social media, where it's like, oh, there's so many, so many diets and thin privilege and all of this negativity. Comparison yeah, culture. Yeah, comparison culture. But what you're sharing is going, oh, hot damn. I wish I had something more to that 
because it's not in my environment right now. I moved, I uprooted myself and social media would have been helpful in that. Yes, it would have kind of just made me be like, well, this is what I am and other people are this way too. And and also just, you know, when you get into like, oh, that phase of boys liking you and all this other stuff, it's like, okay, I'm not what everyone else looks like. So that's not the go-to. So am I not like beautiful? Am I not, am I not wanted? And it creates all of that. But social media, like you said, if I had it during that time, because all that was then at that point was MySpace maybe. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, Instant Messenger or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. AIM. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. AIM user account. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think it probably would have, it would have been at the same time, some type of negativity, but it also, I think could have, social media for certain instances does encourage, does encourage us in certain ways that we don't realize, I think, because we are so quick to like, feel like we're missing out on something. But I I feel like that it could have also encouraged me to kind of almost know, know the kind of clothing that would have fit me better, know, have different um, just resources and, and things to look up that would have made me a bit more complacent with who I was at the time. So you bring up a really interesting point about those very vulnerable teen years. So many times that's where we see the eating disorders or the negative body image really develop in those very, you know, prime years. So I'm curious, as you navigate those years, now you have this like cultural shock and you're doing all these activities. What protective measures really helped you navigate those years without maybe developing certain behaviors? Oh, yes. So those formative years are just, I look back and I say to myself, why, oh, why? But I will say to give perspective, I really, I was an active child in the sense of I didn't, I did play a lot of sports until I just stopped feeling comfortable. So then I switched over and looked more towards organizations. So I was involved in student government. I was heavy involved in the yearbook. So I found outlets for myself. I was involved in an organization called Best Buddies, where we actually work with the more dis- um, the more physically or mentally disabled students that needed assistance during the school year, during the school day, et cetera. And so just finding activities like that, that I was able to say, you know what, it's not all about what I physically can do, but it's also about using my mind and my mental to really showcase that I have all of these different great qualities. And it was a support factor because it didn't matter in those instances, what I looked like, we all just were there to kind of achieve the roles, achieve a job. So we're there to complete the yearbook or we're there to provide whatever the class wants for student government things and make sure that we're implicating all the things we promised or we're there to help out whoever it is that we're working with. So that kind of gave me a purpose and a place to really be able to say, all right, this this is what I can focus my mind on. And then I was less worrying about like binge eating or coming directly home because I had things to preoccupy my time. And so by the time, yeah. So by the time that I was sitting down for the day, it was like, okay, well, we're having dinner, that's that, and we're good and doing it all over again. And then even getting older, you get your like job once you start driving and all of that. So that was just perfect. And I think that everyone, I really am fond of the arts and just finding other outlets, like whether it is that you love to do drama or you love to do, there's so many different spaces. And even now I think schools and just the youth have come up with other ways outside of just physical activity. I know it's important, but it's just not everyone's thing. And if it's not your thing, I don't think you should be faulted. And I, and I love the fact that there's other, other opportunities to kind of pursue. And so those were really my 
distinctive measures that I didn't need. I don't think I thought through at the time because when I quit dance, it was just like, well, I need to be doing something. I was always that kind of child. Let me just make sure that I'm like interested. And also you need stuff for college applications. So. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. think it's such a great perspective because so often in my sessions, I talk about the eating disorder or whatever's going on, whatever disordered behaviors happening It's a result of needing control or something else to do. It's a purpose, right? But when it's engaging in this disordered behavior, it is a control that we find with food or exercise or whatnot. And so with these kids that even that are in activities like a sport or exercise, they're taken to the extreme where it's like, oh, you do five sports, right? It's not that you're doing a sport and student government and the yearbook and all these things because the sports don't really leave room for that. Not saying sports are bad, but you get what I'm saying. No, but they're like siloed. You can't do, unless they're different seasons, you're sticking to one and that's what you do. And then you're also in clubs. So whether you're at the school doing the school year season, then you go to club sports. And like you said, it's a full, it's a full-time year thing. There's nothing else you do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what you're bringing up is such a great perspective of going children, even as adults, we need a purpose. People have such a hard time doing nothing, which let's work on that. But Kids need a purpose, and if their sole purpose is just to go to school and hang out with kids, well, in a time like a pandemic, that all is crumbling, and what else are they able to do? Are they able to find other purposes? And in your case, it's sounding like, hey, wait, I found all these really healthy outlets that allowed me to be me, right, without teetering on any sort of disordered angle. Agree. I think too, so many, so many teens struggle with finding purpose and worth outside of how they look. So I think you bring up a great point that like I found worth through my mind. I found worth through my connections and my social connections. And, and there's so many layers to us that are more than how we look. And I think teens very quickly get sucked into this rabbit hole of how I look is the most important and is my currency in high school. And so I love that you're you're speaking on on how protective it is to protecting kids from that rabbit hole by keeping them engaged. I tell so many of my parents of my teen clients, like, unfortunately, the social constructs in our society will lead teen girls to stop playing and start just talking. And they lose so many of their hobbies where the boys kind of keep playing because that's more like socially celebrated. And so if we can keep the girls active and playing, and I don't mean necessarily like a soccer game, but like a debate team or a book club or anything that keeps them engaged, it'll help keep them from having this narrow hyper-focus on how they look. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Downtime is not encouraged time. That's how I look at it. Well, it's a time where now social media is the negative outlet. Yes, we can encourage kids to find a more positive outlet or a more positive angle to social media. But if they're bored, if they're feeling isolated, if they're feeling judged by their body or the way that they look or whatever, the social media outlet is not necessarily supportive of that at this. At all. Yeah. Yeah. So question, you were giving us the perspective this season of being a daughter 
and being raised in a home that really encouraged you to embrace who you are and, and go out there in the world. So I'm curious for our listeners who are parents and really like navigating these teen years or scared to death of the teen years and what's going to happen. Like how, how would you say your mom or your parents helped you navigate body acceptance, dress for your body in ways that made you feel good, own your curves and your genetics. Can you tell us that story and that piece? Oh, absolutely. So I have a great foundational relationship with my mother, which I really appreciate. I know sometimes that daughter mother dynamic, especially in the teen years is quite difficult, depending on just the relationship that you built. But she she was always just a great support system. And specifically, I think how she truly went, went about it, just realizing that she moved me to a new place, and I was uncomfortable. We really had um, just I would say different traditions amongst ourselves. So when you were thinking about back to school shopping, there were kind of, she always took me to places that fit my body type. So of course, at the time, what was in was probably like Abercrombie and Fitch and Aeropostale. A lot of those stores did not fit the mold of my body. And she knew that. And so instead of even kind of putting me to go and be disappointed in those places, we would go to other other spots where I necessarily wasn't as receptive, but she would get me in there, have me try something on. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is amazing. This works. And just from her having a very similar body shape, she could kind of guide me and say, you know, well, why don't you just try this? She never would pressure me. But as soon as I was open and I was open to her recommendation, it always was something that was in my bag at the end of the day after we went for shopping. I also think that she created She created ways to support me in my activities that I kind of spoke about prior to. So where my dad was very hands-on with my brother with the sports, she still found a way to be super active and involved at my school, whether it be within PTO and other things that allowed her to know that I was I was super involved and everyone outside of just knowing me knew her as well. And it made me feel comfortable just in a space where when it comes back to my body, it's like, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't in those first few years comfortable living down here, comfortable with a friend group. And so it kind of, she created a mold to have her eyes on me to always know, but in a way that I didn't feel like, oh, here's my mom watching me. No, here's my mom, like being a part of something that's cool. Like my mom was always this cool mom. And so then it just kind of allowed me to kind of just be able to stretch and like go into my own place. I also would say outside of just like my mom, but also my parents in terms of just things that they would do to make sure that I felt good about myself would just be like celebrating. They would have ways of celebrating me and my body and like how we ate and how we did things. They just, they were cognizant that I was the bigger size of my siblings. So I kind of always didn't necessarily feel like the most confident all the time going through those years. But I never think it was never something that was pointed out. It was never something that, you know, they allowed to to restrict me from anything that I wanted to do. So I think they always having that like confidence and that positivity, but never pushing, pushing it overboard and letting me kind of use my own mind to have my own um, decision making power in the end. So it felt like this was me. And I think that's important for parents to realize, like, even if you know your child is uncomfortable, you can't like shove them in a direction. Let's like guide them, but not shove. Right. I think so often Rachel and I are talking about how we can create this environment that is supportive for our kids, but we can't create a protective bubble. 
It's not possible. They are eventually going to either go out in the world and leave us and move on or just experience somewhere some judgment. And if we can lay a really solid foundation that encourages a positive self-esteem, then they have a better shot, right? So you're saying, hey, wait, I had these normal insecurities. Teens are a ball of insecurity. It's normal, right? But instead of having someone empower those insecurities and be like, yeah, this is what's wrong with your body. Let's change your body. Let me try to fix your discomfort. Your mom, it sounds like, supported the differences and or just you being you. It's not even differences. It's just you being you and and was supporting that body type or just your own experience and was guiding but not forcing it's like here's the path choose the path which one do you want and I'm going to be holding your hand or right by your side in that path that's awesome hey go mom right love a good mom (laughs) shout out to Mrs. Phillips Phillips. (laughs) no it's Mrs. she's hilarious So what protective measures can parents do or take to help teens face diet culture and just the negative body image messages that they're receiving to kind of build that strong foundation into adulthood? I love that question. And I think in terms of the foundation and what parents really want to look to is the simple things like, okay, having a time of day that you all do dinner. So when we're thinking about food and not having these negative kind of just outlooks and making sure that your child has a positive relationship with what they're consuming. I know in my specific household, we are not a really a heavy red meat eating family. So we always kind of do seafood or chicken. And so my dad, my dad always incorporated from a young age that we had two seafood nights. So whenever it was that my mom was making meals, like that's what we had those two, those two evenings. And we always ate as a family. And so it's kind of, those are the simple things, but I think that those protect, like that being a protective measure it allowed me to never want to. I know what time dinner is. I know I'm not going to go in there and snack because I had these activities and I've just gotten home. There's structure behind when I'm consuming, what I'm consuming, and that kind of trickles you into your adulthood. Because ironically now, I still kind of keep that same structure in my head for myself when I'm eating, not even purposefully, but it's just kind of been built in. And of course, you know, it changes over time, but that's just one kind of way. Also, in terms of I would say like with my dad being so involved with the sports, he was involved with my brother, but also within myself where we always did physical activity. So now when I think about doing a bike ride or doing just simple things of trying to stay active, it allows you to not just necessarily, especially in this pandemic, where you do just want to kind of sit around and not do anything. It promotes measures to think, okay, how can I go and kickstart my day? How can I go and kind of get myself together and enjoy the weekend? Or what am I doing that's keeping my body moving outside of and not just thinking about it from Oh, I need to exercise. Oh, I haven't done anything, but it's more of an enjoyable space. So finding things that you enjoy to do that keeps you moving or keeps and also keeps your mind moving because I feel like an important piece to our body and how we look at ourselves is that mind aspect and the mental piece of it all. So really, 
creating structures and traditions within yourself that you're that is like family time so it doesn't feel like it's just on you but it's a whole group setting and you'll also bring that when you have your own family one day yeah i i can hear my clients telling me because that would be my suggestion let's create structure let's do family dinner let's do whatever they're going oh but the schedule is crazy It's so busy, right? And I I think the core piece to all of this is that we as a society are too busy and we're overbooking ourselves. And so if something as simple as a family meal or a family time of some sort, whether that's nighttime reading a book or watching TV or whatever it may be, if that isn't able to happen because the schedule is so overbooked and there is just chaos ensuing, then I would encourage y'all to like look at that, right? To look at that and and see what's really getting in the way of these really, I don't want to say simplistic, but small protective measures that can be in place and make such a huge difference on a child's life and even your own as an adult. Absolutely. I I love that. And I think that important piece of looking, I hope in this time folks are reflecting on their schedules and realizing one, that they're a bit insane and everyone needed to take a step back. This was all truly was a great time to just kind of reflect. But also, like you said, break it down every half an hour. I know you have 15 minutes in there to even like play a small puzzle game or do a quick, like just like you said, the simple things of getting you moving to where you're not just sitting there, like whether it be still or a show where you're just exhausted because you did so much throughout the day, you have 15 more minutes to give to yourself if you started at 100% in the morning. Right, right. Yeah, my... My reflection from the pandemic and little tweak was I took email off my phone. It's gone. And so because I noticed like so often, even on the days where I'm trying to chill out, my my email, my work emails popping up and it's just bringing on not stress, but just like, oh, well, I need to do that. Or I need to do, it's so much distraction. distraction. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, this is stupid. I'm <laughs> I can sit down, set out these kind of slotted out times in the day to sit down and do work. But otherwise, I just, I don't want to. You don't so need I'm it. I'm taking yeah. it off my phone. Otherwise, deleting I'm a just lot gonna, of apps. Yeah, deleting apps. I'm going to break my phone. That's probably what the core of all of this is. I'm just going to, I'm going to revert back to a flip phone. <laughs> That's what's happening. But in the meantime, Ooh. email's off. <laughs> I support the flip phone or maybe yeah, like a sidekick or something, something or the Blackberry. Man, something. <laughs> something to take you back. Oh, a Nokia. <laughs> that was my first <laughs> phone. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> um, Rachel, what's yours? Heard, well, I heard connection. I heard you're saying like, look at all these times I had where I connected with my parents. So it didn't necessarily matter too, too much what we were doing, but I knew that I would connect with them. I would get their attention and that created safety. And that also creates confidence in children when they know that there's a, an adult who is safe and trustworthy, who cares about them. So I think that probably helped with confidence. And then obviously with confidence comes lots of other great things. I am, I am curious. We didn't have this question written out for you, but I'm curious how any of those connections would have been interrupted if your parents have been engaging in diet culture or struggling with their relationship with food, how that would have impacted you. If you think about like 
the alternative? Oh, that's a good question. Honestly, I do think that I would have been more susceptible to being, not, I don't even want to say falling victim of, but having to have to deal with a bit more struggles when it comes to diet culture and different things and probably going a route where I wasn't as comfortable with consuming the foods that I did or going and not taking care of my body the way I should have or resorting to kind of outlets to try to like not eat at all and to try to like look a certain way or just, I I think if they weren't so on top of it or so around, I wouldn't have felt the 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 almost comp, the almost individual confidence that they helped me build to know that all of that wouldn't have benefited me. But I don't think if I I have a very open and communicative kind of foundation with my parents, and so even now, like even if it's something. I've laughed because it's like we can have complete disagreements, but we're still going to talk it through just because that's the relationship we built. But like you said, if I didn't come from that dynamic where I felt so confident to ask questions and to really just be just feel like comfortable with going in the in the not so in the gray area of like questions to have for them or decisions to make that like I knew I could come to them they would have lack of judgment they wouldn't really like be so aggressive with their responses I don't think I would have done so well just because I do I'm thinking back to 13 14 and those were some tough years in terms of just how I really looked at myself in the mirror and all the like negativities I could sit there and point out. And even I actually remember going back to really quickly a protective measure. That's when I started doing the post-it thing, which I'm sure you guys maybe even recommend to your clients where you write encouraging things on a post-it, stick it on a mirror. And that was, and that it kind of happened naturally and organically. Like it wasn't like one day my mom came in like, oh, do this. It was kind of just like, oh, I'm going to say this about myself. Oh, well, let me stick it here. And but I think my parents, had they not been who they are, this could have been a very different Tershawn you're speaking to today. <laughs> totally. Because I think of the angle when you were saying like, hey, when I went through puberty, I was a woman early before early. any of my peers. And so I got boobs and a butt and I'm developed. And if your parents would have encouraged you to force change on your body and instead of going positive sticky notes, they're going, let's join WW Weight Watchers. Yep, uh-huh. <laughs> then that would have been an entirely different path. Instead of encouraging your individuality, they're conforming you to the rest of the population, which is diet and disordered and hating your body. So And ironically, just to like add on to that really quickly, I actually had a friend who her parents were the opposite. So she did join WW. And unfortunately, she now later on in life has had plastic surgery and different things. She enjoys her body. And it's like, it's whatever works for you. You know, she's happy with it. But I do think now I'm really looking at like those little nuanced pieces of how her parents parented her and mine parented me. And I'm like, wow, it was a completely different house. And I noticed it every time I went over there, just in terms of like how we ate and what, what was available in the household and just even in the conversation. Hey, hey, listeners. We are excited to tell you about this amazing brand we just discovered called Dia. Their philosophy is to design clothing for women that want great fashion and proper fit in sizes 14 plus. As you learn to embrace your mom jeans, check out Dia to find denim jeans with a J and a complete outfit for your perfect fit. 
To help you feel fabulous in your mom bod, Dia is offering our listeners an exclusive savings. To get 30% off, head to Dia.com, that's D-I-A, and use our code MOMGENES, M-O-M-G-E-N-E-S. You can try the clothes on in the comfort of your own home, keep what you love, and always get free shipping and returns. Finally, a brand that has your mom jeans in mind. Visit Dia.com and use code MOMGENES to get 30% off your order. Dia is excited to work with Mom Jeans, the podcast, this season. So head to Dia.com and use code MOMGENES to receive 30% off your order. All right, let's head to our episode. So as you consider a potential future role as a parent, not to rush you, you're not there yet, take your time. Uh, <laughs> how how are you thinking about how you want to take your experience like into that role and, and then what family legacies are you looking to break or to keep in your instance? Ooh, no, I think there's some I would love to keep, but also some I would love to break. As we talked about before, like the dinner time and that structure, I would love to keep. I think I would try to see if we can just do it a bit earlier in terms of like timing wise. I do think that we didn't have as much say in terms of the actual dinner menu. I would love to kind of have my kids a bit more involved and in the kitchen a bit sooner than my parents did just because I think that that's really truly the way that you have a, you form a healthy relationship with food. And just from the starting point where you don't, I will say love my parents, but we were often on the go when we lived in New York. And so a lot of the different fast foods and things that they allowed us to consume, that's not happening in my household. And I know I say that now, and I know it probably gets really, really difficult once you are a parent and like life is spinning at you. So feel free to like, let me retract all of these things that I'm saying I will break. <laughs> but, but, but in my head, we won't, we won't actually um, have time for that and just have a bit more meal prepping will come into play versus with my mom being retired and being at home, she was able to make dinner every night and all of that, where it, I, that's not the case on my end. Let's make sure that we do have this kind of structure in place. Outside of that, as the mother, I would like to be a bit more actively involved in my kids in terms of, like I said, with the physical sports, where that was always my dad's thing. And I know that comes back to more of that male dominant role, but I would like to kind of break in that tradition and really make sure that whether it be my, my girl or my boy, they know that, hey, Mom also can come out there and, you know, whether it be let's play basketball, do swimming, do whatever it is that we can go play golf, whatever it is that you enjoy, like, let's just do something different and fun and, and interact. And even if it's not, you, you don't want to do it on like a highest performance level where you're involved in a team or, or whatever it might be, you still know you can come to me and I'm, I'm your number one teammate. Yeah, we can challenge the gender norms of like, women can be athletic you know that's yeah and even if we're not athletic we still can go do the activity totally (laughs) there okay so I grew up with two older brothers and I never touched a lawnmower no joke until I was 34 years old which is when I owned a house and my husband travels for a living and I was like oh shit who's gonna mow the lawn I'm like I don't know how to use a lawnmower. Like, how terrible is that? And so I had to learn. I had to learn where I remember asking when I was younger, like, can I mow the lawn? I don't want to pick weeds. I hate picking weeds. I just just want to mow the lawn. And they're like, no, you're too little. You're a girl. You're too little. And I'm like, ugh. 
They always so, do that. My dad had a riding mower. And, how fun! Right? And I wanted to do the riding mower, but no, you might break something. Um, Actually, I got my whole license. I'm exactly like, I'm pretty sure I'll take more detail to the lawn. Right. <laughs> yeah. So not to totally change directions on you both here, but if it's okay, I'd love to circle back to the topic of the beauty ideals in our society and the Kardashian body type that you mentioned earlier. Not to like totally drag the Kardashian name through the mud here, but they are currently one of the beauty ideal trendsetters, and yet they've received critique for some of their fashion choices or even for their body type such as the cornrows or the round booty, because it seems that they're co-opting black beauty. So when you compare that to the Kate Moss heroin chic era of the 90s, now curvy and round is in. So people are getting injections for the rounder features or celebrating curves, but of course still only in all the right places. I'm wondering how, as a black woman navigating body acceptance of your genetics and then the changing of the cultural beauty ideals, the racism of diet culture, and social media. I'm curious if you can touch on how you have felt about all of this, because you mentioned you were raised feeling like your body was different, and now celebrities are using surgery to get your body. I would, if I'm being honest, it was a bit frustrating now that I'm older and seeing kind of where the celebrity direction has taken kind of just beauty and the standards. And I would say frustrating because a part of me is revealed and I'm so happy for younger black girls or younger really just girls of color who sometimes just because of how our culture is and not even our culture, but just like you said, when it comes back to genetics and things, we may develop a little bit sooner. We may just come from curvier women. It's just, you know, a lot of different things that come into play with it, but it's, 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 beautiful to see that now these different features are being recognized and being highlighted whether you see it on models on the runway or in these celebrities wanting you know bigger lips or wanting curvier curvier hips or getting these butt injections or etc but then it's also like to it, it was I remember when I was younger and it was almost taunted for so I remember being in these places and I no one understood well why is your butt so big and why, why do you look this way and kind of not I wouldn't say I was never necessarily overly bullied or mocked as a child but that uncomfortability where it's really like I do not like I, I do not like who I am because I do not see it in the media and so seeing it in the media is great, but I also don't like that it's almost being reappropriated. So going back to the question of co-opting, it's like, these aren't your natural features, your natural places. I love that you want to say that this is beautiful, but you don't have to go out and get this for yourself. Just go and have your friend who already has these features. So it's like, if we're looking how we said with the Kardashians, a Kylie, a Kylie Jenner versus her friend Jordan Woods. Jordan already has all of these things. You could have just, you know, promoted your friend that has these features, celebrated her and like, oh, look how gorgeous I am, but also look how gorgeous she is. And we're completely different, but this is beautiful versus going out and trying to mimic. To me, imitation is not the greatest form of flattery. Right. And it's not honoring your true self. It's the same thing as dieting, trying to change your body, trying to shift. To fit a beauty ideal. To shift that into that beauty ideal, right. It isn't you. It's not full body acceptance. It isn't embracing your true self. Right. And then almost like stealing. You're now stealing a, a part of like another person's space that's yeah. claiming it as claiming your own. It. And that's, yeah. And so. that is like a whole tangent of like, 
white privilege and white dominance of like, oh, okay, we're going to start doing these things. And it's like, y'all are missing the point here, right? Oh, That's, that isn't yours. And we could say, yes, those features are beautiful. And also for, you know, I don't know. I don't want to shame people, but also in the same effect where it's like, okay, the Kardashians doing, doing cornrows, it's like, okay, you could do a nice braid, but like that isn't the purpose of your hair, right? There's a, there's a deeper purpose of why black individuals wear cornrows. Yes. It's really just a protective style. And it's also, and it goes back to our traditions and history and culture and all that. And honestly, I don't even mind you doing it, but I also do mind you trying to rename it, rename it and boxer braids and all these other things. Like let's not repurpose this. It isn't yours to change. What it is, it isn't yours to change exactly. So yes, I. It's like a. It's a very thin line when you are trying to celebrate it, and celebrating can be done in a way of you doing it yourself. But don't don't like reappropriate and like you said, just take it to a whole nother level. Where like ironically, I saw on um Instagram where it was. It was, Kylie Jenner had made a post and they screenshotted it. This this is the problem of Instagram, but they screenshotted it and it said, one of them said black, black skinned girl or something. And then the other one said black eyed girl. So it looked as though she had made one post and then changed it after she got comments saying like, this is not appropriate for you to post. And so then she changed it to black eyed girl. And it's just, and I know right now the like conversation of race and all of that is just a lot to do in our society, specifically in America. But I do want to say regardless, I think it's a beautiful thing to just feel as though everyone's features across the board, whether you're white, black, yellow, blue, we all are being celebrated so much more. And I, for one, am happy that that is now the case in 2020. So where can people find you if they want more information and want to hear more? Oh, yes, yes. So everyone, you can find me on Instagram. My actual personal account is at Tershawn Ashley. I also am a fellow podcaster. So you can find me at The Right Mistake Podcast. That's where we kind of just dish and highlight all of all of different voices from across really just different industries about what right decision kind of catalyst them to go into a new direction and really push them forward, whether it be in their personal or professional career. We also have therightmistake.com where you can reach out to me at. And yeah, we also are on Facebook as well. So they'll have all the details for all my things, but it was great talking to you both today. I feel like we had such a a good conversation. We hope you felt inspired and moved by this week's story. Please reach out to the person interviewed to connect with them in the ways they listed, or you can check out our social media pages at Mom Jeans the Podcast for details on the episode and to find our guest's information. If you love the episode, please leave us a rating and review us on iTunes and recommend this episode to a friend. We are sending you the inner strength to accept your jeans with a G and wear the jeans with a J. Bye. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LeBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. 
You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.